Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Rev. Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the book of Joshua, chapter 24, verses 1 through 3. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom and in your will, discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Joshua 24, verse one. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your ancestors, Terah and his sons, Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates and served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, my brothers and sisters. It's good to be with you. And I know that we're not physically together as we traditionally would be, but we are still the body of Christ. And of course, Jesus says where two or three are gathered together, he's in our midst. And the Lord is with us. And the Lord is with you. And it's good to be reminded of that in a time of great uncertainty for our country. I want to encourage you to keep praying for America. And I know many of you are, and people around the world. I've been getting some prayers from people in different parts of this world telling us that they're praying for America. And uh, I want to encourage you to keep praying. There are a lot of things we don't understand, but here's one thing we do know. Almighty God is with us, and the Lord will lead us through. And so what I'd like to do today, we're almost done with our series of sermons that we've been calling Lessons from the Wilderness, Lessons from the Wilderness. And Last Sunday, Pastor Henry walked us through the last chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. And today I want to walk you through sections of the last chapter of the book of Joshua. Last Sunday, we heard about the leadership transition from Moses to Joshua. But then at the end of today's reading, if you read the whole chapter, and I hope you will, Joshua also died. Moses died, Joshua died. And you know my big takeaway from all of this is that the kingdom of God and the work of God is not built on great personalities. Now, we need leaders, don't get me wrong. 
but it is not dependent on leaders because the leaders will come and the leaders will go and the leaders will die and the leaders will fall and they will rise. God's work and God's kingdom is not built on the backs of great leaders. Rather, God's work and God's kingdom is built on the great promises of a great God. And we need to hear that in the times in which we find ourselves. The other thing I want you to know is that the book of Joshua is not an easy book to read. And I want to bring that up because I know of Christians who have totally dismissed the book of Joshua. Years ago, I read the book by Dr. Chris Wright, who is a great friend of this congregation, one of the world's most renowned Old Testament theologians, and he's preached here in this space. He wrote a book called The God I Don't Understand. And in the book, he discusses all the many mysteries of God's activity, the reticence that something God has toward dealing with evil. And in dealing with that topic, he mentions a topic, a chapter in the book called What About the Canaanites? And this is what Dr. Chris Wright says. He said that those who wish to deride the Christian faith in general find their sharpest ammunition ready-made right here. And here he's referring to the book of Joshua. And then he asks the question, is the book of Joshua about religious genocide or is it about ethnic cleansing? And uh, that is a very important question to be asking as you read the book of Joshua. If you're a serious reader of the Bible, that's a question you cannot overlook. What's going on? Why so much violence in that book? And that's a topic that we can deal with at, the, at another time, but I didn't want for us to walk into this last chapter of the book of Joshua without acknowledging the many tensions, the many challenges that this book presents as you read it. And I would be one to urge you, my brothers and sisters, don't be one of those Christians who picks and chooses what they find palatable and what's unpalatable, they will dismiss it. That if you are a serious reader of scripture, I want you to take all of the mysteries and all of the complexities and all of the conundrums of scripture and read them and begin to figure out what could they mean. For our purposes today, what I want you to understand is that God's people have been going through the wilderness. Moses died, but the work of God continued. And I want you to understand this morning that the people that are now being led by Joshua, they've crossed over, or they're getting, yeah, they've crossed over the River Jordan. They're on the other side of Jordan in the land. And God wants them to know that they're not, he did not choose them because they are more righteous than other people. They're not pristine. They're not perfect. And if you read the book of Habakkuk, it proves that God would use unjust nations like the Assyrians and the Babylonians as agents of God's justice. God is not a God of partiality. God is an impartial God. And it's no wonder then that the book closes out. As the book closes out, you hear in Joshua's words real concern for what is to become of these people. They're going into a new land but they're going into the land with old, sinful, unrepentant habits. 
They're going into a new land, but they're going into a new land with, a ho- with an old heart, an unrepentant heart. And so what does Joshua do? And this is really the heart of what I want to share with you this morning, because I think what Joshua does, this is maybe one point, one main point that I want to leave with you, is that he calls them to choose, make a choice. And you'll see on your screen the image of a pathway. And one path is going to the, to the left and the other is going to the right. And you cannot go down two paths at the same time. You must choose which way to go. And this is what Joshua is now addressing. So one of the first things he does, he calls together all the leaders. And you'll see that in chapter 4 and verse 21, that Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. And I visited that site that ancient site of Shechem, one my, the first opportunity I had to visit the land of Israel, Dr. Mitri Raheb took a, a group of us to one of the oldest ruins in the whole world. It's, the, it's the, the ruins of Shechem. And when you stand at the ruins of Shechem, you're seeing on one side what's called the mountain of blessing. And on the other side, you're seeing the mountain of cursing. It was near that site that Jesus met the woman of the well, at the well. And they talked about on which mountain should we worship. We need to make a choice. Where are we going to worship? And I remember standing at that site. And I said to myself, how is it so that we would be so dismissive of the scriptures when so much in archaeology is bearing out these realities? Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. And he summoned the elders and the heads and the judges and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before the Lord. So again, they were on the verge of entering the land. They were no longer slaves. They were out of Egypt, Egypt's culture, Egypt's mindset. The practices of the surrounding culture was still with them and within them. And if they're, going to, if they're going to lead these people, Joshua calls the leaders together so they can present themselves to God. And the next thing he does, he reminds them of their past. He reminds them of their history. If you look at verse 2, Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago, your ancestors, there he is, he's going back into history now, your ancestors, Terah, And his sons Abraham and Nahor lived beyond the Euphrates, and I underlined in my scripture, and they served other gods. But notice what God does in verse 3. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river, led him through all the land of Canaan, and made his offspring many, and I gave him Isaac. And that's code language for the promise that God made to Abraham that out of you all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And God made a covenant with Abraham. God made an agreement with Abraham. And God gave him Isaac. In other words, God called Abraham out of his idolatry and commanded him and invited him and called him to serve, to serve the living God. And God then made this covenant and sealed that covenant. And the Bible says, in chapter 12 and in chapter 15 of Genesis, that it was accounted to Abraham, righteousness was accounted to Abraham because of what? His faith and his obedience and his willingness to go where God was calling him to go. So God 
called Abraham to leave his idol worship. You got to choose Abraham. And I believe God is calling you to do the same. And Joshua was calling the people to do the same, which leads then to verse 14. Because once he's through speaking to the people about the need to serve this God, he then calls them to action. He calls them to action. And like a good preacher, that's what preachers do. We don't just give people information, but we call people to action. Verse 14, now therefore, revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river in Egypt and in Egypt and serve the Lord. That's the call to action. Put the gods away, put God first, revere God, worship God, be faithful to God, and serve the Lord. Make a choice. Joshua knew, I think Joshua knew that something was holding the people back. And notice what he says in verse 15. Now, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether it's going to be the gods of your, that your ancestors served in the region beyond the Jordan or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my house, he says, we will serve the Lord. And that's a very famous sort of postcard statement that you see in cards and letters. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But the context here is Joshua is saying, look, if you guys don't want to choose, I have already chosen my clan, my home, the people who are part of my group, we are going to serve the Lord. If none go with me, Joshua is saying, I'm still going to follow the Lord. And so person by person, family by family, leader by leader, Joshua is saying the decision needs to be made to serve the Lord. And another way to say it is that Joshua wants this to come from the ground up. It's sort of like from the roots up. That's the kind of growth he wants. It's not going to be a top-down thing. He wants it to come from the roots up where each family, each person, each leader says, I have made up my mind. I am going to serve the Lord. Make up your mind. That's what he's saying. Make a choice. Either serve the Lord or the gods of your ancestors, but you can't have it both ways. You can't go forward in two directions. You got to choose. Now, I am struck by the people's response. And the cynical part of me says that their response is the same kind of religious response that you get all the time. I haven't done this in a while, but I've done it enough to have the experience of asking people, do you believe in God? And just about everyone that I know, very rarely do I meet people who tell me, no, I don't. Or if they say, I used to believe in God. And it's, 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 a, it's a theological statement that sounds wonderful when somebody says, I believe. But as you and I know, it takes more than just saying, I believe. So notice the people's response in verses 16 through 28. The people now said to Joshua, when Joshua said you need to serve the Lord, they said, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve the other gods. It was the Lord God himself who brought us up from 
and our fathers out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. It was God, they said, who protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And it was God who drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. And then they said these wonderful words, we too will serve the Lord because he's our God. Now, in my background, if you call for an invitation for people to come to know the Lord and you see hands go up and a hundred people come forward and say, I believe and I want to follow Jesus, I would go home thinking my job's done. But I've read enough of the Gospels to know, I've read enough of the Bible to know that the mere lifting of the hand or the mere speaking of words is simply not enough. And Joshua seems to know that because he says in verse 19, you're not serious. You're saying the right things, but you're not ready to serve the Lord. And then you have this back and forth where Joshua and the people are going back and forth. And Joshua says, no, you're, you know you're not going to serve the Lord. And the people said, yes, we will. And Joshua says, no, you won't. People said, yes, we will. We will serve the Lord. And Joshua says, no, you're not ready to serve the Lord. You're not serious. And finally, in verse 24, the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve and we will obey. And when I read that, I thought immediately about the second chapter of Judges. And it tells me again that good intentions are not enough. Being sincere is not enough. And when I turned over to Judges chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, I read these very sad words and I offer them to you this morning. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Now, these are the same people who just said, no, Joshua, you're wrong. We will serve the Lord. The Lord is our God. And a few years later, as they become more settled in the land, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and they served the Baals and they forsook the Lord God of their fathers brought them out of the land of Egypt and they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them and they bowed down to them and they served them and they provoked the Lord to anger. And you read the whole book of Judges and it is this roller coaster of the people saying, oh God, we really want to serve you. And as soon as things are well, they drift back to their old ways. C.S. Lewis had something to say about this. You know, it's been a while. I haven't read Mere Christianity in quite some time, but I picked it up this week because I know he has a lot to say about how Christians are to live in, it, in the culture. And I want to share one quote with you in Mere Christianity on pages 49 and 50 where he says, what Satan put into the hearts of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could be their own masters they could invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside of God, apart from God. And out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call human history. Think about that. Money, poverty, politics, ambition, war, prostitution, classes. Today we would add races, empires, slavery, the long, terrible story of man or human beings trying to find something other than God which will make them happy. 
The reason why it can never succeed is this, and this is just the brilliance of C.S. Lewis and his imagination. The reason why it can never succeed is this, God made us, he says. God invented us the way humans invent an engine. A car is made to run on petrol, and it, it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel of our spirits. We were designed to burn, or the food of our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. There is no other. We're made for God. And that's the reason why we need to choose. And so often when I talk to people and they tell me, well, if, if God created human beings and God knew that human beings would so mess up the world, why didn't God just do something? And I said, you know what? It has everything to do with the way God made us in his image. He made us with the ability to choose. Let me give you an example very quickly. There's so many examples in scripture where we're called upon to see these two ways to live, these two paths that we can choose. I looked again at Genesis 2 and 3 where God brought before the man and the woman the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did God tell them? You can eat of all the trees. Look at all the freedom you have to choose. Any tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did they do? They chose the very thing God told them not to do. I think about the teachings of Jesus as he got to the end of the Sermon on the Mount and he said these wonderful words that we must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added onto us. And then you turn over to Matthew chapter seven and Jesus says, there are two kinds of people in the world. You have the wise and the foolish. And the ones who hear my words and put them into practice are the ones who, who build their house on a rock. The wise person, that's the choice we make. We can either build on the rock or build on the sand. And the wise person takes my word to heart and they build their house on a rock. And when all of the adversities of life come and try to tear down that house, the house stands because it's founded on the rock. The foolish person, though, makes a different kind of choice. They reject Jesus and his words and they come up with their own architectural plans and they build their house on sand. And when all the adversities and the struggles of life come, that house House, that life is not sustained. Jesus also in one of his parables said that there is a road that leads to life and there's a road that leads to destruction and the road that leads to life is narrow and the road that leads to destruction is a broad road and there are many on it and Jesus says you need to choose which road are you on, what tree are you eating from, where are you building your house? Which road are you traveling on? One leads to life, one leads to death. And then to me, maybe the greatest example of the need to choose wisely was when Pilate, in his conundrum, says, I don't see any fault in this man. And because it was the custom of the day to release a prisoner to the people, he thought, ah, I have the solution now. And he goes before them and he says, who do you want me to release to you? Do you want me to release to you Barabbas, that thief, that criminal? And he was expecting the people would say no, or should I release to you Jesus, 
And the people chose and they said, our blood be upon us, give us Barabbas. What should I do with Christ? They said, crucify him. My friends, the Bible is filled with examples of the need to choose wisely. Choose wisely. And I wonder about you this morning. In mainline churches and in churches all across America, we're being told that people are leaving in droves. And I often wonder what is behind that. Because it couldn't be because suddenly the once perfect church is now imperfect and people are saying, let me get out of here. No, the very people who are leaving the church themselves, they have problems just like the children of Israel. I would suggest to you that what is happening right now, and Jesus predicted it, that in the last days there would come a great falling away, a great falling away where people will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God where people will give themselves over to their own version of what is true instead of what God has given to us as true. And so I think what's happening in our time is that people are walking away from the church because they're making a choice that I want to be the master of my own life and God is not enough. I would offer to you, my dear friends, that if you would begin to examine the scriptures once again, even if you only had this reading from Joshua, and you begin to see who God is and what God has done, then you and I then must choose, just like Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I urge you, go beyond words and put your words into actions and show by your actions that you are indeed serving the Lord. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, to the people of Thessalonica, you turned to God from, the, from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And so when we turn to Christ, we turn from idols, we escape the wrath of God, and we wait we wait for the coming of his son. Friends, I urge you this morning, choose, choose, choose who you're going to serve. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.